Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. My name is Ryan and I'm one of the pastors here at Meadowbrook Church and I'm so excited to be here. Pastor Tim wanted me to send you his greetings. This week is spring break week for many and so he's spending some much needed time with family. Um, We also have a new series starting this coming weekend. It's called Going Green and hopefully you got one of these invested invite cards as you walked in. Did everybody get one of those? So you don't just flick them at people that you don't like. There's actually a purpose to this. You can fold it in half and put it in your wallet and then when you leave, leave an incredible tip at a restaurant, a really good tip, you leave this there. That's one way that you can invite some friends to church. If you leave a bad tip, please just keep this in your pocket. Um, we would ask that you not, not do that. You can go to work. You can give it to friends. Oftentimes, just as you have a discussion with somebody you might know, you'll be talking about times, dates, places, where, where we're at. And if you have this in your pocket, you can pull it out and you can give it to somebody. And that gets them here for this new series starting this weekend. And then as you heard from Izu, uh, our student director earlier, we have some changes happening. First Wednesdays will be coming in April, our big family celebration on the 29th. But let me make a a little uh, explanation about something that will be changing after that. The week after first Wednesday in April, our high school ministry will continue to meet on Wednesdays. Can I hear high schoolers? Are you here tonight? Or did you you ditch because it's it's, uh, spring break? Let me try that again. What? Where you at? Okay, thank you. They're right there. They're on spring break. Their, their brains are off. I get it. I got two kids. I couldn't even get one of them here tonight. The, uh, and so high school will meet, and then beginning in May, so that's going to happen right after uh, our first Wednesday. But here, here's the change. Middle school will not meet on Wednesdays. All their services will be on Sundays. C20, our college and young adult ministry, beginning in May, will also move to Wednesdays so that on all Wednesdays, C20 young adults and high schoolers will be here. And then every first Wednesday, we will come into this room as a giant family. And as Pastor Tim said this weekend, it's not just a service or an event. It's going to be an experience. And so we want to have you be a part of this incredible experience. Um, As I said a second ago, I have, well, maybe I didn't say this. I have had the opportunity to to preach to our high schoolers for the last year or so, and um, it's been an incredible honor. Um, I, I started out in youth ministry when I was 19. That was 21 years ago. And, uh, and I left uh, high school ministry after a few years. I never thought I'd get back into it. And then the opportunity presented itself. I was a father. I have a high schooler. I have a middle schooler. And I figured, what, who, who better to speak to our next generation than a, a dad with kids and so I did that for a year, and then I figured something out. Now I know why we hire student pastors that are young and have lots of energy. Because every time I walk into them, I have to apologize to them because I always have my dad hat on. And, I, and then I have to put on my like, high school pastor hat. And then they, it gets all convoluted. And one minute I'm like telling them how awesome they are. And then the next minute I'm telling them that you know, they never clean their rooms and they need to do the dishes. And it, it, it's a mess. So, uh, so I've had the opportunity to be with our high school ministry for a while. There's four, and I wanted to give you a glimpse. There's four house rules we have with high school, and they're in here tonight. So I'm going to have to apply all four of those rules tonight. So I want to tell you what those are. Here's the first one, pretty easy. No judging. We don't judge. We're all different. We all look different, different ages, so we don't judge. Number two, no talking. 
when I'm speaking um, and, and others are talking, unless you're supposed to talk, I, it makes me nervous and I forget where I'm at. No cell phones except for using our Bible app. And then the last one, this is a hard one, no PDA. You know what a PDA is? Public d- displays of affection. You never heard of PDA? So there's no, no PDA for that hour when we're with high schoolers. However, I, since we're in this room, I'm going to make an exception. If you've been married 50 years or more, you can do a little PDA while I preach, if necessary, but just, you know. Okay, we're talking, I'm talking tonight about divinely directed decisions. And this idea is something that Pastor Tim has actually presented to us in his leadership recently. He was, uh, he was going through some, uh, some study time. He came to us, and he threw down this incredible statement. And it was in a time when we were praying and seeking God's direction for this, for, for, for this church. And he said, guys, whenever we're together, we need to seek for divinely directed decision. And from that day forward, every time we're together, every time the leadership of this church is meeting we are going to God in prayer, and then when we're done, we're moving forward, forward trusting that the, the decisions that we have, ma- have made have been divinely directed. And I wanted to share t- with you tonight some of these concepts. As I read earlier, it says right here, a man's, a man's mind plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. Divinely directed decisions are on the lips of the king. His mouth should not transgress in judgment. And that came from... King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk on the face of the planet. Now, I, I have to admit, as it's so easy when the guy up here has to admit stuff, and you guys can pretend like you've never done any of the things I'm about to talk about, but I have to admit that I have had some, and this is in a word, some undivinely directed decisions in my days. And if you choose to admit, you could raise your hand if you've ever had an undivinely directed decision. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's another way of saying you messed up. So... I mean, like when I was 13, I got into a BB gun war and had my teeth shot out. Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay. Um, I, I cut the, the, the whole neighbor, I cut all the neighbor's cable wires when I was eight with the giant uh, pruning shears because that's what you do when you're eight. Bad decision. Um, I tried to steal a golf club when I was 14 from Walmart and they have strategically like undercover guys there that will catch you and they caught me. Bad decision. I, I, when I started working on old cars, I would weld in shorts and flip-flops. That's stupid, people. I have, like, burns on me. I've made some... He, he, I have so many bad decisions that I decided to put them all on a, on a screen for you to see every single one of my bad decisions. Bad decisions <laughs> since 1976. If you can read them, they're there for your uh, enjoyment. I don't recommend it, but they're there. So decision-making... Today, though, I believe is more difficult than ever before. And I, and I really feel for our emerging generation, our next generation, for um, those who are coming up, there is so many decisions to be made. As a matter of fact, there's too many options, and there's too many illusions of perfection. And so the older generations, sometimes we look at the younger generations and we're thinking, why aren't you just making a decision? My son, Tyler, who's here tonight somewhere, when we're at home, mom will say, I'm going to Walmart. And then I'll say, well, I'm going to Best Buy. And he's like, I don't know which one to do. When we were kids, we didn't go to either one of those places. We just played with dirt in the backyard. I get it. But today, kids have so many options. I mean, just just drive to a Taco Bell. When's the last time you've been to Taco Bell? There's a thousand choices. 
from Taco Bell. Now, secret, I think they all have the exact same ingredients. They're just shaped differently. However, there's a lot of options. I mean, my son, as I told you, he, he has a hard time trying to decide whether to go with mom to Walmart or with me to Best Buy. By, for the record, it's always Best Buy, right? You got technology, you got computers, things like that. Here's a, here's a, here's a this is a hard one. Walt Disney World, we have four parks to choose from. Too many options, right? Okay, those are Florida problems, but still, that's a big deal. It's like, wh- which, which park am I doing? Any annual pass holders in here? Is there, is there okay, yeah, okay, that was, a, that was a Disney joke. Those don't, sometimes they work. However, the amount of options that we, that our generation is facing today is ridiculous. So no wonder that it's difficult to come to a decision. And then this idea of perfection, the illusion of perfection, social media. Whenever you take a, okay, you don't have to admit this. If you have social media, if you, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, whatever it may be, if you're going to take a selfie, you're going to make sure you take the best possible selfie, right? You're not going to take a bad one. Or if you're a husband and you take a picture of your wife, she gets to check, right? To make sure it's acceptable. 90% of the time they're not. Every once in a while one makes it through the approval process. Because there's this idea of perfection. And so then, how would we ever begin to live up to that? We're so afraid to make decisions that we might look bad. We might look human. We might look fallible. And so the decision process has come to a standstill. You freeze. Have you ever been in that position where you know you need to decide something? And you're so overwhelmed that in that moment, it's just easier not to decide and to be frozen in your tracks. Well, tonight, I want to share with you four, which I hope are practical ideas on how we can make divinely directed decisions. And by the way, I've been saying divinely directed decisions all night. That's a really hard three-word like, like thing to come together. So I dare you to try that. And if I, if, I get them up, if I mix them up, just give me some grace because it's definitely a tongue twister. Okay, number one is this. We need to avoid the dreaded either-or and no-win scenarios. The either-or and no-win scenarios. So like when you're going to go on date night, and, and your spouse says, where do you want to go eat tonight? And you know it's a lose-lose situation because whatever you say, you're just going to go wherever she wants to go. So it's a, it's a no-win scenario. There's a, there's a few ideas that I've had when it comes to trying to illustrate this. And I wanted to use two of the wisest guys that I could ever have possibly thought of. And here they are right here. Jeff, uh, Captain James T. Kirk of Star Trek and King Solomon. Any Trekkies in the house? By chance? Okay. Star Trek and Star Wars are two separate entities. Let's just be clear about that. So I'm going to start with um, King Solomon. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. It was always my kid's favorite story in the Bible. And I'm going to set it up, and then we're going to read it from the book of 1 Kings. So there's two prostitutes, and they, have, they each have a child. And sort of a long story short is, is one of them dies, and then while sleeping, the other one steals the other's child. They wake up, there's accusations to one another of who who the child really belongs to. So they go to the king, King Solomon, and this is what it says right here. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order, cut the living child in two. Anybody ever heard this story before? Yeah. Yeah. 
cut the living child in two in half and give one half to the other, half and half to each other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the, this verdict the king had given, they had the king in, the, the king was in awe, or they had the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Like, how do you even think of that? How, like, the wisdom involved. By the way, don't ever do that at home. That's a weird one. But you get my point. Don't ever threaten to cut a baby in half. But you understand where I'm going here because here he, he was facing with an and or situation and King Solomon got creative. He got creative. Sometimes when it comes to our decision making, we're so two-dimensional. It's either this way or that way or this way or that way. But God, the creator of the universe, is a little bit more three-dimensional. And it might be this way or that way or this way or that way. Because King Solomon was able to think outside of that two-dimensional box. Now, I know what you're thinking. How am I going to bring Captain Kirk into this sermon. Well, here, here's how it, this is how it goes right here. There's a, there's a story, or it actually happened in one of the movies. It's called the Kobayashi Maru Test. And here's, here's what happened. Captain Kirk, in order for you to become a captain in Starfleet, you have to take a test in a simulator, which is a no-win scenario. And the situation is, is there's, a, there's a ship in space, the Kobayashi Maru, full of, of civilians. And then a Klingon vessel comes from... From, from another direction, and the captain has to choose because either his ship will be blown up and he'll die. Uh, the, he, does, he, does he let the Klingons take out the Kobayashi Maru in order to save himself? or does, you know, he, It's a no-win scenario. So here's what Captain Kirk did. The night before the test, this is, this is like actual Star Trek lore. The night before the test, he uh, snuck into the simulator and he rewrote the software so that it became a complete win scenario. The next day, he blows up the Klingons. He saves the Kobayashi Maru. He's a rock star from that point on. And you might be thinking, well, he's a cheater. No, that's not what happened. Captain Kirk doesn't cheat. He just got creative because he didn't believe in a no-win scenario. I don't like no-win scenarios. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about when you're put into those no-win scenarios? It might be a situation like you're at work, and if you tell the truth or if you lie, either way, something bad's going to happen. If you, if you lie, you're able to keep your job, but you're living this life. If you tell the truth, you lose your job. It's a no-win scenario. Or you have to make a choice to leave someone, and you're going to hurt one person, and the other person won't be you know, hurt or upset or vice versa. It's a relationship that you have in your life, a decision that's going to hurt somebody, which is a no-win scenario. Or you have to move somewhere for a job, and you're going to leave your family behind because you need work, but you're leaving your loved ones behind, and you feel like you're in a no-win scenario. I feel like the Bible talks about this. When, when, the, when the Bible talks about fathers don't exasperate your sons, and your daughters, or you'll lead them to anger, I think that's what a no-win scenario feels like. When no matter what happens, you just can't get out of a bad situation, and you feel exasperated. But what we can learn is that we can get creative. I think there can always be more than one option, not just the and-ors, not the no-win scenarios. I, I I would be willing to bet that there's somebody in your life that's creative, 
Somebody in your life that you maybe have a relationship that you trust, or that you can go to and tell them what's going on in your life. And if you sit down, and it, it'll be the price of a cup of coffee. Have a seat. Tell them what's going on in your life. Say, I've got to make this incredibly difficult decision, and I feel like I'm not going to win either way. Somebody's going to be hurt in the process. What do I do? And when you do that, I believe that something biblical happens. The body of Christ comes together, and you encourage one another, and you can speak wisdom into one another's life. So that's, that's the first thing. James 1.5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You guys, have, you, you know this verse, right? This is one we definitely love. But check this out. This is the Ryan's Amplified Version. So, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Trust your gut. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And this brings me to my second point that I want to talk about. When you have to make a divinely directed decision, trust your gut. Trust your gut. Become your own personal best advisor. I can't prove this biblically or spiritually, but I've always believed, I don't know why, that the Holy Spirit lives right there in the gut. Again, no, no, there's no scientific proof of that. And there's been time and time, time and time again in my life where I didn't trust my gut, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, trying to give me a divine direction, and I made a mistake. And one of the biggest ones that to this day I still remember often was one year in 2006 for a Christmas trip. I needed to drive four hours from Albuquerque to Amarillo, and one of my sons was sick. And so I told my wife, I said, well, we'll take two cars, I'll drive. And then, and then in a few days, when he's feeling better, you can meet us there. And so we get, me and Ethan get to Amarillo. Turns out to be the biggest storm in the history of Texas for like 50 years. We're, we're literally snowed in Texas for two weeks while my, my wife and other son are in Albuquerque. And there was no snow. It was beautiful. And we were separated. And I was a young father, and my children were young. And at that age, I mean, the older they've gotten, it's a little bit easier to be apart from them. But back then, back then, that broke my heart. I felt incomplete, and I knew I shouldn't have done that. I didn't trust my gut. So then, after that, we created a new family value, which is the family always sticks together, and we've sort of lived our life that way. But being able to trust your gut goes a long way. And then, to be your your own best advisor... Have you ever been in a situation where you, got, you have to make a choice and you try to remove yourself for a second and say, what would I tell myself to do? Or I know there's plenty of times where we said, well, what would I have told my 20-year-old self to do? Well, that, that's easy. Hindsight's 20-20. Today, you might be in a place where you have to sort of stop and say, what would I tell myself to do if I could get rid of the emotion? We've also heard, what would Jesus do? Right? WWJD. And if you're, if you're thinking about getting married and you're like, well, what would Jesus do? Yeah, he didn't get married, so don't get married. That's a pretty easy answer right there. But, no, not really. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm totally joking. But did you know we can know what Jesus would do because we can have the mind of Christ. In every decision that you make, you can actually have the mind of Christ. And there's this beautiful passage in Philippians. I'm going to read it to you. It says this right here. In your relationship with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's, here's what this passage means when it comes to having the mind of Christ. Jesus himself, he was God. He was fully man. He was fully God. And in every decision that he made, he could have filtered that through being a divine creature that created the universe. But even he himself, in those decisions, made a choice to live a life that was selfless and humble. Even Jesus. And what I've, what I've come to find is that when we're, when we're trying to make these divinely directed decisions, and we're wanting to trust our guts, and we're saying, God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What do I do? That most of the time it can be filtered through the mind of Christ, which says, is this selfless? How will this affect those around me? Lord, do you need to humble me so that I can make the right decisions that would be honoring to you? And then going to the last, or second to last point, don't allow pride to decide for you. If you've ever had pride make a decision for your life, you're probably aware that that ends badly. Just like having a BB gun fight. The guys are like, don't you want to play army? Well, yeah, it ended badly. In high school, I had a Camaro, a 1983 Camaro Z28. It's a great car. It's a beautiful car. It's red, white, and blue. It's just like the flag. Super fast, super loud. One day, I was at high sc- in high school. We had a big, giant parking lot. And uh, my friends, we all parked far away. And uh, I had blown the muffler on accident. I had a backfire in my car. I think some of you with like older cars understand what you my, my car had a backfire. It blew a hole in the muffler. But it blew it in just such a way that it sounded like the coolest hot rod on the face of the planet. And, and every time I would drive down the road, back then, this is like the 90s, when car alarms were a thing, every car alarm went off just through the rumble of my Camaro. It was the coolest car in high school. And I, I remember the day that one of my friends said, hey, Ryan, you've got you've to light those tires up for the guys. You've got to let them see what your car can do. That was a point of pride. Absolutely, I was going to let them see what my 1983 Camaro Z28 that was painted like an American flag could do. And I started doing donuts, and I was, I was revving, and smoke was going everywhere. And what I didn't realize is that the campus police were still close. They came by. They gave me a ticket. I got ticketed at school. So not only did I have a ticket from school, I also got in trouble. And it was a big deal because I let pride make a decision for my life. Now, that is sort of a funny simple example. But let me tell you, allowing pride to decide for us can be one of the most detrimental decisions that we could ever make. I was, um, I'm a big fan of history. Any history buffs in here? Anybody, anybody like listen to or seen Hamilton the musical by chance? I highly encourage you to do it. If you like musicals, you like history, and you like dancing, I guess it's the perfect thing on the planet. I just like the history part mainly. And so it tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, who was the first treasury secretary appointed by George Washington. And he was brilliant. He created the the financial institution that to this day we still pretty much live by. He uh, started the, the National Guard. I mean, this guy has done so much for our country. And then he got into a war of words with a guy named 
Aaron Burr. And they started sending letters back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, making arguments about one, one's views over the other. And do you know how that simple war of words ended? A gun duel. A gun duel. Like, who does that? Okay, the West. I get it. I, I, I'm a big fan of the movie Tombstone. I'm all about it. Doc Holliday. Okay. But, like, leaders of our country went to a gun duel. But the rule was is you were, supposed to, you were supposed to waste your shot, and you would actually fire it up in the air. It was more just a point of pride, and nobody would actually shoot each other. Well, on that day, Aaron Burr decided to take it a little bit more serious than Alexander Hamilton, and Alexander Hamilton was shot, and within 24 hours, he was dead. Because of a war of words and pride. Now, I know that seems a bit extreme, but how many times have we been in, some, in a situation where the word no would have saved a lot of hurt and heartache, yet we felt that that wasn't even an option anymore, just to say no? How many arguments today alone have you been in with somebody that you love because pride was the driving force in your decision-making? Pride will kill your relationships. Pride can kill your future. Pride will stop the divine decisions that God wants to do in your life. And then the last point is this. Listen for spiritual direction and do the next best thing. Listen for spiritual direction and do the next best thing. It's sort of a a little bit oversimplifying, but as as I've had an opportunity to, to preach with high schoolers and to hang out with high schoolers and learn a lot of new things about myself and about them, something I've been trying to say a lot is we need to make wise choices and we need to do the next best thing. And sometimes when it comes to these incredible decisions that will alter your life, it's so overwhelming that we don't know where to begin. It's like this idea that that you're at a crossroads. We've probably all been at a crossroads and we have a road to the right, we have a road to the left. Which one do we take? We don't know how either one ends. One might alter my future. One might allow me to make more money. One might allow me to marry the person of my dreams. But we're frozen. And in those times, we have to go back and we have to remember what Romans 12 says. It says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the renewing of your mind, what that means is spending time with God. And when you're spending time with God through prayer... Through the, through, through the reading of his word, your mind is being transformed. And, the, and it goes on to say that you will be able to test and approve his will for your life. And, and let me try to explain that as best I can because this is one of those deals where we get asked this, as a, as a pastor, I get asked this question more than any other question. How do I even begin to know the will of God? And as I'm looking at high schoolers, I see 11th and 12th graders, they're about to choose their colleges. They're about to decide whether to enlist into the army or navy or air force they're trying to decide what to do with the rest of their life but it's not just there you could be 45 or 50 and trying to decide do i take out a second mortgage do i buy this house that i've always wanted do i get the car that i've always dreamed of do i need to find a new job i'm at this crossroads and i have no idea what to do and i and i'm just frozen and if you go back to these points that i've tried to make 
and nothing, and all else fails. A friend of mine whom to this day I respect so much, he was a worship pastor, and about 20 years ago, I'm sitting in his office trying to decide what to do with the rest of my adult life, and I had these options, and I laid them out on his table, and I said, I don't know what to do, Terry, and he got real quiet, he sort of made this simple statement, he said, well, just do the next best thing. I was like, okay, yeah, I can work with that. Cool. What is that? What, which one is it? He's like, no, you, you don't understand. When we're living a life that is pleasing to God, our minds are be, being transformed. That whether, whether it's a choice to go right or it's a choice to go left, if it's not contrary to his word, that probably either one's going to work out just fine. Now, there's a fair measure of common sense required. I often tell this to the, to the students. They'll say, well, do I go to college? And I'm like, I prayed for you. Yes, you go to college. You go to school. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a done deal. And if you go to the military, you use the GI Bill when you're done. You don't even have to pray about that one. Pastor Ryan laid it out very clear. But to do the next best thing, to look for spiritual direction, to know and to make decisions that will change your life is the most daunting task. And I think if we were able to have a series of questions and all these the age, age ranges and backgrounds that we've come through and that we have in this room, I, I, I tend to sort of look at life as a story. And I think that these di- divinely directed decisions, they'll write your story. And when I was young, I'm a story guy. I love movies. I love books. I love history. And I've just pictured my life as a movie. You've got the three acts. You've got the introduction. You got the you got the uh, you know the conflict of some sort. You've sort of got a resolution at the end. And every decision that I've made along the way, I've tried to say, God, how do I get to where the end of my story feels like this incredible, epic ending that I see in movies? How do I get to this place when I'm still way over here? How do I not veer off the path? How do I not make the bad decisions that will cause me to fall? How do I get to this place and I've been doing this only for 40 years, and God willing, I'm halfway through my story, going to the gym a lot, eat, gym a lot and eating right, so maybe, maybe i got another 40 years, or whatever the case may be, these, these steps along the way, I can see that getting married, I met a girl, she loved God, she was gorgeous, I said, God, I want to marry her, I married her, it was the right choice, one day I wanted to have kids, I said, God, I want to have kids, the Bible says be fruitful, multiply, I'm ready. We had kids. They were pretty good kids. I love them. I wanted to do something different with my life. I wanted to get into ministry. I wanted to go places. I said, God, I want to do this. I've been doing this in Albuquerque. I want to, I want to go to other parts of our country. And I felt like he was saying, well, you're doing what you're called to do? And I said, yeah, I just want to go where palm trees are at. Is that a bad thing? I came to Florida. As you can see, these decisions... I haven't over-spiritualized these things, but throughout this process, I've always tried to live my life in such a way that I knew that whatever decision I was making, it would be pleasing to God because I had the Holy Spirit living in me. Who is God in me directing my decisions, my divinely directed decisions? And so as you leave tonight and you're asking God, what do I do? What, what do I do about these bills that I, I can no longer deal with? What, how do I get out of, out of this no-win scenario? 
What school do I go to? What job do I take? Do I need to get out of this bad relationship, but it's going to help, it's going to hurt somebody in the process? How would I ever begin to make these kinds of decisions? How will I do those things? And I believe that you being here tonight is a part of that. It's you saying, God, I don't know all the answers, so I surrender. And when I walk out that door, I'm not going to freeze. I'm not going to be immobilized. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to use good common sense. I'm going to make sure that it's not contrary to what I read in your word. I'm going to seek some advice from those that I trust. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit who lives in my gut. And I'm going to go and do the next best thing. And your story, one day, wherever you are, your story will be here. And you'll be at the feet of God. And my biggest prayer, and I think your prayer is, that he will look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That we lived a life that was divinely directed by the creator of the universe. As we come to a a time of um, closing and we're going to do some prayer in just a a little bit. I I want to remind you that we have a team here tonight that when we're done, we're not done. We have godly individuals who are up here every time we have a service. And I feel like sometimes you're not taking advantage of this incredible godly resource. Come up here and say, listen, I I've got to make a decision. You don't even have to get into the details if you don't want to. Can you pray for me? Can you ask God to make whatever it is that I need to do, just give me a peace. Give me some clarity. Let me make the, right, the next best choice. And so I want to remind you that we have that team up here. And then I just want to give you a chance. Every time we meet, we want to never assume that everybody in this room already has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I want to take a moment and give anybody that would want to do that tonight, that opportunity. So if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. The only reason we ask you to do that is so we're not distracted by the things around us. If you're thinking about your story and all the decisions in them, and you're looking at the past, and you're looking at all the poor decisions you made, all the wrong decisions you made, I need to let you know that God is in the business of forgiving. And everything that you've ever done Anything that you're doing today and anything that you may do in the future that would be one of those poor decisions, he is ready to forgive. And so if that's you tonight, if you're ready to say, I believe the things that I've heard, I believe that Jesus is real. The book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're ready to make that decision, if you would just slip your hand up so I know who we're praying for tonight, if that's you tonight, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? There's two people. Anybody else that are ready to give their hearts? Thank you very much. I just want to, to those who raise their hands, I want you to know that your future is bright that God is ready to take you into your purpose. He's ready to show you what you were designed for. 
And for those tonight who are here, we, we, we have a, a relationship with you and we're facing those incredible decisions that sometimes come our way. Give us peace. I trust that you know the right choice that you need to make. I really do. I believe that you know that when you walk out this door tonight that you, you have some clarity. And so now it's just praying for boldness to go and do it, to not be immobilized, to take that step of faith, to trust God. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing in this place, Lord. We thank you so much. You've given us a, a church home to come on a Wednesday night and worship you and to hear your word. Lord, I pray as we leave tonight that you watch over each person that was here tonight. You keep us safe. God, that you would bless us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.